All right, good morning. How is everybody? Good? Mad? Slightly annoyed that you're not sure what you're supposed to do because we moved your chairs and tables around? I didn't even do this. I just came in this morning. It was like, whoa. I'm just kidding. Um, So we are, it will make sense in uh, throughout the, the lesson that we're going to look at this morning, kind of why we did this and why we're doing something a little bit different this morning. Um, and so there you go. So just get over it. Lighten up a little bit, people. It's summertime. Hang out. Chill. Relax. Here's my number one point today is that we can have fun at church. Amen? Anybody? We can have fun in church, right? The joy of the Lord kind of thing. And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles, if you have one with you or some version of it, you can go to the you can go to the book of Luke. We're going to be a law, we're going to be all over the place, but primarily all over Luke. Um, and so, if you want to follow along this morning with me, we would love to invite you to do so. I'm going to pray here in uh, just a second, and then we will roll with our lesson this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for, man, just an awesome weekend, a terrific day. God, just sun's out, and we're so grateful for that this morning. And uh, God, we pray that we would have an awesome morning together, um, that, Lord, we would just enjoy one another's company and the opportunity that we have here to to gather every single Sunday to hopefully be encouraged, to look into your word, to receive an encouragement or a word from you by your Holy Spirit's power to speak through your word, Lord, as we study it and read it together. Father, I pray that we'd have a good time this morning, that as we look at this text and as we look at the theme um, that we're going to be studying this morning, that God, you would give us a a better vision, a bigger vision uh, for the church and for our purpose in our ministry um, and our time together every, every Sunday and in other places beyond Sunday. Father, we thank you for this day. We honor you with it. We ask you to be here to bless it, and that it would be all about you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's, here's what I want to talk about today. This is going to be, you don't have a handout, and so this is just totally not unprepared, but intentional, okay? Um, if you see people come in like Matt just did, confused, uh, let's help him out. Because people come in here and be like, is this a different group of people? Uh, hey, I didn't know who you were. You normally sit on the left side of the room. Are you new? No, I'm always here. I'm on the other side. Um, and so we're going to, that's a part of it too, just kind of shaking it up and, and uh, meet people that were, have been here the whole time. You just didn't know it because you've never turned to the left or the right. You've always been, you know, looking toward the stage perhaps. But here's what I want to talk about this morning. If you do want to take notes on something you brought with you because we didn't provide it for you, um, I want to talk about the spirituality of food. Amen. Can I get a, can I get an amen? Yeah, you know who you are. All right. Um, and so, I want, so we're talking about the spirituality of food this morning. Uh, I'm not a foodie person. Raise your hand if you're a foodie person. All right, you're pretentious. That's who you are. Uh, a foodie is something, someone who like really knows all about this, that, and the other, right? How it goes together and all those kind of stuff. I, so I'm not a foodie. I'm an eaty. I like to eat food. I don't care really where it came from and who made it. Actually, that's not true. I have I have some standards. Um, but I like to eat food and hang out with people and, and spend time with folks. Um, and so I'm not a foodie, but I am an eaty. And, uh, and so I, 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 in my notes here, I was writing down this week thinking about this. I believe that the F in fun begins with food because food is usually necessary for fun. And, uh, and so that's, that's kind of what we're talking about this morning. I found a couple of really great quotes on food. This has been my favorite week ever, sermon prep-wise. Guys, you don't even know 
how much I've been eating to the glory of God. But listen to these two quotes that I think are really interesting from some famous people. Julia Child, you may remember her. Um, she says this about food. She says, people who love to eat are always the best people. Aren't they the best people? They're the most fun to hang out with. Um, here's another one, J.R.R. Tolkien. Maybe you've read some of his books. He says this. He says, and, and this is a really good, really great quote. It connects well with kind of the, the ethos or the, the point of what we're kind of going after this morning. He says this. He says, if more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. Now, all of us in here understand and have experienced the value of food, the pleasure of food, the enjoyment of food. Um, food, without a doubt, is a significant part of our lives. But I wanna, what I want to show you this morning is that food is actually a whole lot more um, than just physical nourishment. Um, some of the most uh, memorable experiences for me, and I'm, I'm sure for you as well, um, are food, food-centered um, experiences, right? Food-centered experiences um, where you have uh, spent time with people and a meal was sort of the central tying together sort of aim or what have you. So think about that sort of for just a minute for yourself. What, we're not going to answer out loud kind of a thing, but think for a moment for you, what, is, what are some of the most, your, your most favorite meal memories? Like you close your eyes, you could almost smell the, the ham cooking if it was Christmas um, or a holiday. Birthday parties, reunions, um, Memorial Day weekend, like we just came out of a big holiday where people get together and grill and cook out. Right, but food is always a big part of what we do when we celebrate. Who's, who's bringing what? Where are we going to grill? Where are we going to cook out? Every year, Carrie and I, we go down to her mom and dad's house uh, for Memorial Day weekend, or we try to. She's got family who come in once a year from, uh, I don't know, North or South Dakota. We're not really that close. Um, and they come down, uh, and, uh, and we just hang out, right? You don't do anything. You just hang out on the front porch or in the back of the patio. Kids swim and play. And we eat, we grill, et cetera. So I know you have that too. You've got memories where you were growing up. And you remember every Christmas we would, we would go here and do this. And here's what I want you to think about this morning. Most of the time when we are kind of thinking about those moments and those experiences, it's not really about the actual food per se. Right? It's usually about the people who were there around the table. It was the people who came out of town that you hadn't seen in a long time that you wanted to hang out with. It was um, friends or neighbors. It was a holiday. It was some sort of experience. And we, we know the value of that because when some of those people go, when people begin to pass away, our hearts are broken a little bit because we think, oh, remember these memories because of that person, grandparents and extended family and things like that. And so what I want you to see this morning is that food is a, a valuable thing, but not just because it's a stomach-nourishing thing. I want to show you this morning from the scriptures that it's actually a soul-filling kind of experience. It's something that we share together. It fills us. Here's another really great quote I thought was so cool, tying in with this whole idea of what the, the spirituality of food, the value of it, and the communion and fellowship that comes along with it. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors to quote, says this. He says, true friendship, listen to this, true friendship begins when one person looks at another person and says, you too 
And, right? Does that make sense? Like you, you connect with somebody, you're telling them a story, you're a mom talking about your kids, and you're frustrated about something, and someone else says, hey, I got that, and you're like, whoa, we just connected because we're like, we have this shared experience, or in the job place, or whatever the circumstance might be, and if you didn't know them very well, you had a moment of connecting with them because you had a shared experience that was not with them, but you can recall that in the moment where you are with them. And so when C.S. Lewis says that, I think it's so accurate. That that's when friendship begins, when we can look, you're interested in that, you, you, have, you, you're, you're, you like to spend your time doing that, or watching that, or going there, and fishing, or whatever it might be, and that friendship is born. And I would argue that a lot of times, a lot of times, a lot of times, that friendship, that environment, that connection happens over a meal. It happens in community. It happens when you're sharing a meal with each other. And that's, again, like I've said before already, that's the, the point of what we're going to be looking at today is this. That biblically speaking, something as, simple of fo- something as simple as food can be spiritual. Something as simple as a shared meal can be spiritual. Here's a verse to think about. Here's a verse to think about. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul, he's addressing the church, that's what most of 1 Corinthians, he's addressing the church there and a lot of the problems that they have. But look what he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he says this, so whether you eat, right, you're familiar with the verse, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. We think about this for a second, something as simple as a meal can be spiritual when you eat it and you enjoy the food and drink to the glory of God. And that means at least there's at least two kind of key points that I want you to kind of think about there. Number one, all the food that which we eat could taste like cardboard. Right? It, it could. It could all taste like kale. How awful. Can you imagine living in a world where all of your food tastes like kale. Would that even be worth living? I would argue, no, I don't suspect that it would be. And so part of, part of eating food and enjoying food and drink to the glory of God is being thankful. Thankful that you have it. Thankful that someone prepared it. All those kinds of matters. Those are all true as well. But thankful that your food doesn't taste like cardboard. The fajitas, oh, can I get an amen? Fajitas don't taste like cardboard. Praise Jesus. Many of you know that Carrie had gone through a four-year kind of process of being allergic to the world in relationship to food, it seemed to us. She would say that. And many of you have been a part of those experiences Right? Our doctor's in the room, and he's been like, oh, I don't know what's going on, and let's figure it out, and let's test. And do we, It's been a four-year journey, nightmare for her, uh, afraid to have a meal. And when we figured some stuff out, by the grace of God, and Carrie was able to sort of begin to eat again in a lot of areas, you know, my marriage got so much better, you guys. <laughs> you don't have it. You have no idea how hard those four years were on me. I am emotionally exhausted from the support I've given her. <laughs> now, we say that in jest, you know us and all that kind of stuff. But, but it's valuable, and you don't know the glory and the blessing of God that is your taste buds, that is food, until it's taken away from you. 
You go to a foreign country and you're thinking, what is this that they're serving me? This isn't chicken. They say it's chicken. So part of, part of that verse in 1 Corinthians 10.31, the spirituality of food, is that when we, when we think about it and don't take it for granted, we could be grateful not only that it was prepared, but that it tastes really good. It's not cardboard. The second part of that aspect, I believe, is most frequently uh, the, the, the part that we take for granted, perhaps, is the communal aspect of food. Right, have you ever been in a restaurant and you saw someone eating by themselves? Your, your first thought most of the time isn't, man, that's lucky. Now, if you're with your kids and your family, you're thinking, that guy, I'd like to trade him places. But mo- all things being considered, most of the time we, someone, we see someone eating by themselves, we're kind of like, oh, that's, that's a bummer. Because the other part of food is the communal aspect. It's the shared experience. It's the C.S. Lewis moment of saying, wait, wait, you too? Like we're connecting on that level and it's usually around food. And so there's a lot of things when we think about hospitality, we think about food and, and just the communal aspect. There's a lot to give glory, to the glory of God to. There's a lot to glorify God back about we're thankful for this meal, we're thankful for food, we're thankful for taste buds, we're thankful for the community, the people that we get to affiliate with and associate with and spend time with. Now I want you to think about this. Tim, Tim Chester is a, a pastor, author from, I think he's in London, and he wrote a book a while back called A, a Meal with Jesus. A Meal with Jesus. And in that book, he asked this question, and I want to ask it rhetorically to you. He says this, how would you complete this sentence? Here it is. The Son of Man, which you, if you don't know, is, is a name or a title that was given to Jesus, and it's always referring to, the, to Jesus. So how would you complete this sentence? The Son of Man came to blank. Think about that. How would, you, what, how would you answer that question? How would you fill it in? The Son of Man came to what? Some of the things we might say, for example, would be preach the word. Is that true? Yeah, for sure. He preached the word. We have these great sermons from the, the Sermon on the Mount and, and all of these other discourses that we see. He came to preach the word. That's true. How about this? He came to establish the kingdom. Is that true? Yes, it's true. He came to establish the kingdom. The kingdom of God came to earth, and he became a part of establishing that and teaching on that. Here's another one. Did Jesus come, or did the Son of Man come to die on the cross? Yes or no? Yes, that's why we're here. If Jesus doesn't die on the cross, then we're not in this room together. And you know that's true because there are people in here you'd never associate with if this wasn't a church. Amen? Look around. You know who they are. It's the gospel that brings a variety of people, diversity, into one room around one table to fellowship and enjoy each other's company. Because in other circumstances, we would never meet each other. We wouldn't know each other. So are, are those things true? Yes, they're true. They're for sure true. The New Testament, think about this. Veronica shows The New Testament answers that question in, in three different ways. The Son of Man came to. Here's three different ways he answers the scriptures. The New Testament answers that question. Mark 10, 45 says this. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he came to serve. Um, Luke 19.10 says this. Luke 19.10 says this. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the 
lost. Luke 7, 34. This is where I really want you to key in. I want you to key into this. Luke chapter 7, verse 34. And this is where we're jumping in right here. This is what connects us and what we've said so far to the scriptures. Luke 7, 34 says, The Son of Man has come, what does it say? Eating and drinking. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Now, there's a couple of things in play here. Part of that was because he was 100% God and 100% man. He had to sleep. He had to rest. He had to take a drink. He had to eat food. He needed nourishment. But it was about way more than that. Way more than that. The first two verses that we looked at, right, he came to serve, not to be served. He came to seek and to save the lost. Those first two verses answer the why, not in totality, but give us a general idea of why Jesus came. He came to serve, to seek, to teach, to establish the kingdom. But the third verse, Luke 7, 34, I want you to think about this. That third verse shows us the method by which he established or began to initiate the kingdom of God on the earth before his crucifixion and resurrection. So the first two verses show the why. Like why did he come? What was he about? What did he do? But 734, Luke 734 is one of many verses, but one I want you to key in on today, that gives us a demonstration or shows us how he did those things, how he executed ministry, how he what his method of operation was. It was always meal-related, nearly always. In fact, think about this. Jesus was so meal-oriented. He was so meal-oriented that the self-righteous, hypocrite, Pharisee, religious elite ridiculed him for it. Now, they ridiculed him for a lot of things, a lot of things that he said, a lot of things that he taught on when he claimed to himself be the Messiah, the promised one, the forgiver of sins, and all of these other kinds of elements that he taught about. They ridiculed him for those things, yes. But it's interesting to me that they ridiculed him here in Luke 7, 34, the second half of that verse that I haven't mentioned yet. They ridiculed him for eating and drinking. The rest of that verse says this. The Pharisees, these religious elite, they claim, they're called out to Jesus this. They said he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus' method for ministry of engaging with, serving and loving, interacting with and valuing people happened more often than not around the table. With a meal. Eye contact. A shared experience. These self-righteous people, the super-religious people who actually were so far away from God, it should terrify us that we can be that close to him in our mind and that far away from him in our hearts. So the self-righteous people, they couldn't believe that someone like Jesus would be so frivolous with his time and attention as to waste a meal with those people. It's interesting to me that as you read the, the scriptures, Jesus was frivolous in a lot of ways. Not the same kind of frivolous that we would maybe think about unless our values are not his values. Jesus was frivolous with his time, 
with food and meal and people, a variety of people, I think as a physical or tangible demonstration of how frivolous his grace would be to the world. And the meal aspect, his communal aspect, his method for ministry was a demonstration of how lavish would be the new word for us to use. Jesus would be. One of my favorite things to say about Jesus is he's the kind of guy who gets invited to a wedding. And while at the wedding, he is given his opportunity to execute his first miracle. But he wasn't needed for that purpose alone. He was invited to be there before. He was the kind of guy that you wanted to hang out with because he valued people. He was lavish. He was a good company. He was a guy that you want to hang out with over a meal. Jesus was not a glutton and a drunkard like the Pharisees and the religious elite claimed. He was so often around the meal table as a method for ministry because he was, listen to this, genuinely, lovingly interested in other people. We see this in a variety of ways. Robert, another great book to reference on this topic, Robert Karras, K-A-R-R-I-S, wrote a book back in 2006 called this. This is so fascinating to me. Wrote a book called Eating Your Way Through Luke's Gospel. That's our next Bible study in here, by the way. Anything, I'm just going to start calling it Eating Your Way Through the Gospel of Mark. Eating Your Way Through Revelation. People would still come. <laughs> you, heard, you had me at Eating Your Way. I don't know what, what the rest was. Listen, he makes this, this is a profound, like I've read the Gospel of Luke millions of times. That might be an exaggeration. A lot, right? We have, you're familiar with it. But it had never occurred to me that there is an enormous theme of food in almost every single chapter. And the, the chapters where food isn't mentioned specifically it's like a bridge on the other end of a conversation relating to food, fellowship, community. Robert Karras, in the book, he says, that the, I don't think I gave you the title, eating, yeah, yeah, Eating Way through, through Luke's Gospel. Here's this quote, listen to this. He says, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. This is fascinating. I'm not going to give you all the verses that has this happening. I'm just kidding. Well, listen to some of these chapters. Just a, a high point of the book of, of Gospel Luke. In Luke chapter 5, listen to these. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. Remember that? Matthew the tax collector. In Luke chapter 7, <clears throat> in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus feeds the five he takes the small meal and multiplies it. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus eats in the home of Martha and Mary. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at a meal. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at a meal when he compares the kingdom of God to 
a meal, a banquet. Remember that? He gives you this illustration. Hey, a rich, get, rich guy's having a feast. No one wants to come. His friends are busy. I got an ox. I got a thing. I got to do this. And then what do he say? He says, hey, don't you worry about them. You go to the hedges and the highways. You go and beg everybody who can get there to be there because it's going to be a feast no matter what. It's a demonstration of what the kingdom of God's going to be like. It's going to be a banquet, a feast, a joyful communal experience. In Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. In Luke 22, Jesus is at the Last Supper. It was a Passover meal, but it was a meal, a communal experience, a profound communal experience. And lest we forget, two places in chapter 24, in Luke 24, right, following the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus has a meal with the two dudes, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. When they get to Emmaus, he has a meal with them. And then later on in that same chapter, Jesus is eating fish with his disciples in Jerusalem. So the whole gospel of Mark teaches us and shows us that the method of what Jesus did, the method for his ministry was often centered around the communal table of a meal with other people because he was genuinely interested in and loved people. People who weren't like him, people who weren't on the inside, people who were nuns, N-O-N-E-S, right? People who, just to be clear, um, people who weren't supposed to be there, but with a variety of people. He didn't care who they were, what gender they were, what they looked like, what their race was. And so when we gather for a meal or just a cup of coffee or whatever it might be, however extravagant it might be or simple it might be, we're, we're doing a whole lot more than just eating food. When, listen to me, look at me, when you and I gather together in community around the table, we're, we're following the example of Christ. Amen? You're following the example of Christ. When you're eating a meal together and you're sharing time with people and you're, you're, you're face to face and you're laughing and having fun, you're, you're serving them especially if you're hosting them. You're, you're giving valuable time to their company. You're, you are befriending one another. The church, you and I, ought to be among the friendliest, joyfulest people on earth. Do you know why? Because we know the profound lavishness, lavished grace of God. And that grace is a grace that says, come, come to the table, come be a part of my family, come to the banquet, come and be my guest, come and be my valuable guest, my treasured guest, that which whom I come to die for. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Share the gospel. Tell him my grace. Tell him my truth. And do it with such joy because of the power of the gospel that when you enjoy other people, when we pursue other people around a table with hospitality or in a gathering like this, we do it with joy because there's much to be celebrated. So when we eat a meal with other people, 
when we dedicate our time to other people in these different types of experiences, we're not just eating food. We're not just nourishing our stomachs, we're nourishing our souls. And we're following in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, I do want to say this, just to be clear. The, the church is for sure more than just a meal. Amen? Like, this isn't me beginning to make an announcement that from now on, all we're doing is eating breakfast together. But I, can I just say this? Listen carefully. The church is not just about eating a meal, but it can't be about less than that. Amen? Like, eating a meal isn't the primacy of what we do or why we gather, but it should not be less than that. If we can't enjoy each other's company in here, what makes us think that we're going to be on mission for him with that joy out there? Yes? So here's a question. Here's a question. What, what would our ministry look like or become in this room if we took the same level of genuine interest in each other as we see Jesus model in the New Testament? Amen. Like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, what if in here we took each other, we, we outdid it in sharing and showing honor to one another. If we were engaging with each other, if we were demonstrating our love and interest and engagement and affection with, other, with each other in this space, what would that do to our ministry? Can I just tell you this, that I really do believe this. I don't think this is an arrogant thing to say. I think this is just the opportunity that is before us. That if we could ever get to these places, and we're not far off, we just need to get there together in unity because it can't just be me or some of us doing this. It's got to be all of us linking arms, buying in, and making this what we are and who we are and what we do. We have the opportunity, I believe, to be the rudder that steers the ship that is our church. Do you see the room that we're in? I told somebody when we started this ministry that one of two things are going to happen. It would be either a colossal failure or a colossal success, but either way, the world will get to watch it happen. <laughs> if three people come in here after a couple of years of doing this, everybody's going to know it. I get my parking spot taken away from me in a heartbeat. I don't have a, heart, I don't have a parking spot. Actually, I do. Buster's asked me a few times if I wouldn't mind parking the Saturn behind Tower 2. <laughs> It'll be yours. We'll put a nameplate up there. It'll be fine, but just. What would happen if our ministry began to display, demonstrate, out of a genuine ethos of saying, we are, we're going to love each other, we're going to enjoy each other's company, we're going to have a good time, we're going to link arms, we're going to value each other by being here and engaging and being encouraged. And if you limp into this room, you can know that you might still yet limp out. We aren't miracle workers in here, but when you limp into here, you will limp maybe a little bit less when you leave here because of what happened in here. So 
the last thing I want to say is this, that the gospel, the gospel compels us to have more, listen very carefully to this. This is an important word toward the end, but nonetheless important. The gospel compels us to have more than a cheap transactional relationship with one another. Look at me. The gospel should compel us to have more than a cheap transactional relationship with one another. The gospel compels us to have more than a cheap transactional relationship with one another. Everyone in here who knows Jesus is blood-bought. Every single person in here who knows Jesus has been died for. But listen to me very carefully. All of those who do not know Jesus are those with, for whom he came and died for. And he wants us to be about including and inviting and going out and searching and including them into our banquet. But if this is a droll experience... Why would they want to come? Amen? And this is all of us. All of us together have to do this. Like it can't just be my cheerful, happy-go-lucky, chilled, laid-back personality driving this thing, you guys. <laughs> so here's my last line, even if it's cheesy. I wrote it down intentionally. Here we go. Let's be friends. like Jesus, and eat and drink to the glory of God. Thank you for listening to the audio message from the Young Adult Gathering at Cross Church Pinnacle Hills Campus. For more information about Cross Church, please visit us online at www.crosschurch.com.